Welcome to Clued in Mystery. I'm Sarah. And I'm Brooke. And we both love mystery. Good morning, Brooke. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Great, great. So today we are going to be talking about uh, unreliable narrators, which is something I'm really looking forward to discussing with you. I know. It's been on our mind ever since we started the podcast, so this is going to be a fun conversation today. Absolutely. Uh, Before we begin, I'll just do a quick spoiler note. Uh, So in this episode, we are going to be speaking about big reveals and plot twists. And while we will try to avoid spoilers, we may be providing more details about the mysteries than we typically do. If you haven't read or watched the books and films listed in the show notes, you might want to do that first before you listen to the rest of the episode. So let's get started. When we say unreliable narrator, we are talking about the narration or the point of view of a story. An unreliable narrator is lying or withholding information from the reader or the viewer, which can lead to a surprising twist when the truth is revealed. Sometimes withholding information is intentional, like in Gone Girl. And until the big reveal, there is no hint that the narrator has been untruthful and concealed their true motivation. Other times, the narrator is impaired, for example, by alcohol, which should be a clue to the reader that perhaps what the narrator is telling them may not be completely accurate. I personally get so wrapped up in the story that I usually miss that cue. The term unreliable narrator appeared for the first time in 1961 in The Rhetoric of Fiction by Wayne C. Booth. Since then, other literary scholars have identified characteristics of different types of unreliable narrators, creating lists of multiple categories. I'm not sure I would make quite so many distinctions, but I would break them down into three. So the first would be the naive narrator. This is typically someone who is young. Then we have the impaired narrator, and as I mentioned, this might be due to alcohol or to drugs. Finally, we have the intentionally unreliable or the lying narrator. In mystery, we see the impaired and the lying narrators most frequently. Think the woman in cabin 10, where we're not sure if she's reliable because she's been drinking or she's taking medication. Um, and uh, an example of the lying narrator would be the silent in the silent patient. Agatha Christie is credited with the first use of unreliable narration in 1926 with the murder of Roger Ackroyd, when the narrator of that mystery is the murderer. For some context, this book was published shortly before her disappearance, which is why one of the theories about that time in her life was that it was a publicity stunt. In other words, that she was her own unreliable narrator. In the book, Poirot puts the truth together through a series of clever clues, but most readers, including me, even though I knew what the reveal was when I read it, don't put it together. This caused a huge stir for readers, and the book continues to be listed amongst the greatest mystery novels of all time, thanks, I'm sure, to the legacy of unreliable narrators that have followed. Which brings me to Gone Girl. Published in 2012, it has sold more than 20 million copies, and you could argue that it really led to a resurgence of novels featuring unreliable narration. So, Brooke, let's start our conversation by talking about Gone Girl. I think about my reaction when I read the book, and I wonder if it was similar to the way that readers reacted to Roger Ackroyd. It was just such a surprise. What do you think? Oh, I love that comparison, Sarah. And, you know, here we are in 2022, and we have a lot of examples of unreliable narrators. I mean, I would say since the Gone Girl um, explosion, that's become a trend and um, a really useful 
narrative device that we see often. But it was kind of a shock to us because it hadn't been something that had been in um, in a lot of fiction. So it was so shocking. And I imagine it was the exact same when um, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd came out. I mean, clearly it hadn't been used in detective fiction at all. Um, she was sort of the first one to use that in the Golden Age. And um, it had to have caused quite a stir. I can understand the controversy. Yeah. And I, I just remember... When Gone Girl came out, like there just was this so much buzz about it. Um, and I have to say, you know, people were very, very good about keeping the big reveal to themselves, right? People were, I think because it was such, I don't know if in, enjoyable, I guess enjoyable is the right word. Like it just was such an enjoyable experience to reach that part of the book and be like, oh my God goodness. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you wanted other people to have that same experience. So, so certainly the people around me were very careful not to, um, not to reveal what the, what the big secret of the book was. Yeah. I, I'm actually proud of us as a society that that happened that way because um, I know uh, like a copy of it was passed around at the office I was working at at the time. And I mean, I just think about the 15 to 20 people that were in that space and we were like, okay, it's your turn. And the rest of the people would stand, you know, by grinning, knowing what what was going to, you know, be revealed. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. I think that that's something we could be proud of at our ability to keep that secret and keep the, um, keep the joy for the next reader. Yeah. You talked about the kind of explosion since Gone Girl. I, in preparing for our conversation today, I read an article that suggested um, that 680 novels have been published since 2012 um, with girl in the title. Uh -huh. uh, and, you know, that almost either girl or woman in the title is almost the signal that this book is going to have a, a wild, unexpected twist in it. Yes. And interestingly enough, even though we know that when we pick up that title, we it's the signal. There's an un, going to be an unreliable narrator in this, but I fall for it every time. Like it it doesn't lose its um, its power. Like you said, I was really, really happy to hear you um, to admit that, you know, with the, let's say the impaired narrator who's um, drinking a lot, or perhaps she's had a head injury. That's sometimes it's a, it's a um, injury that has caused her impairment. And that should be our big clue, but that you admitted that you usually still don't, uh, don't get the clue. And I'm in the same boat. And I, it's just a, such a credit to those authors to be able to make that work. Um, but I also think it's a, a um, credit to us as readers that we, we really want that ride. So we're willing to suspend that disbelief a little bit and, and go, go on the journey. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it, Brooke. I think generally audiences are trusting, right? Like we want, to believe that what we're reading is is the truth and we enter into a contract i think with the author to suspend our disbelief right rather than to to be searching for those um hints that things might not all be um might not be as as they're being portrayed um and i you know there i can think of one book that i've read where 
it was very clear from the beginning that the that the narrator was unreliable um and you know i i i thought oh, this this doesn't work because i know that this is this is what's going to happen mm-hmm. but the author turned it around and there was even more unreliability that I I wasn't <laughs> expecting. And so it actually worked out really, really well. And I was, I was pleased that I read the whole book. Um, but, you know, I, I, I can't think if there's any other examples that I've read where it, it's been obvious to me that this person isn't, uh, you know, what they're, what they're sharing is not what's actually what's going on these stories are a, um, a reason, maybe a good reminder to, to finish that book, you know, because sometimes it's the big twist at the end, um, that is the payoff. And so your comment was, was really good because you thought you knew where that book was going and maybe that it was kind of a tired plot. And then, you were happily surprised. And I think that's something that an unreliable narrator story does is that for a long time, sometimes you're just thinking you're watching this person's day-to-day life and it's can get rather dull. Like, okay, here she is. She's getting drunk again and going to work and poorly managing her life. But um, you have to wait until that point where all the other pieces fall into place and, and the story pays off. Uh, so I just want to pick up on something that you um, just mentioned about um, that the the narrator is female, because a lot of the examples that I can think of of unreliable narrators are female narrators. Um, and, you know, again, going back to the number of books with women or girl, um, you know, that that's a signal that the, that the narrator is going to be um, female. Um, so it, I've read a couple of books where the narrator... Uh, the unreliable narrator has been male and it's it almost comes as more of a surprise. But when I, you know, put on my feminist hat for a moment, um, I wonder if audiences, because of the, the association with feminine or female unreliable narrators, I wonder if audiences haven't been primed to question um, the female point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have thought of this as well. And it reminds me of, um, you know, maybe in the Victorian era, she's got the vapors, you know, she, she's hysterical. And I think that there is a um, common recurring trend to kind of paint women in that light. Um, I also believe that plays on the fact that the market for these books are women. And so it's easy for us to put ourselves in, in that person's shoes, perhaps easier than, um, because I don't feel like this is like, uh, a genre that's really focused on, um, being marketed towards men. So I think we've got a little bit of both, you know, we could, we could look at it from two different ways, but I will agree that, um, because I recently read, a book where the narrator was male and everything got tipped on its head at the end. And I'm not even going to say the title because it will, it would be a spoiler in, in and of itself. But I agree. I almost felt more shocked because it was a guy. And then I had to really question myself like, well, what makes a man more trustworthy? 
as a narrator. So, um, you know, some, some deep thoughts after reading. And just, you know, to your comment about, um, that the, the audience is, is typically female, you know, I think most of the books that I can think of that have unreliable narrators fall into that domestic thriller category Mm -hmm. that we talked about in, um, in our domestic thriller episode, right? Um, that, yeah, it's it's a story that you can very easily imagine you or someone you know leading a similar life to what is being portrayed mm-hmm. in the um, in this book, um, and maybe that's part of the appeal as well, right? Like, um, and it maybe kind of goes back to our like, what would you do question that we've asked in the past. One, um, we do see male unreliable narrators in sort of the larger cast uh, books where um, I'm thinking of maybe Lucy Foley's The Guest List or uh, One by One by Ruth Ware. You've got a group of people, so you've got multiple point of view, and you don't know who to trust. Um, It's very likely that more than one of them that's telling this story is unreliable in some way. So you do see kind of all genders um, being represented there. Um, But that's a different kind of story and a different kind of um, experience because you're not just living out that one narrator's uh, telling of the story. Yeah, that's that's a great point because when you're reading um, the guest list, like you know that someone in this cast of characters at least one of them is um is up to no good right mm-hmm. um part of the enjoyment of reading that is trying to figure out okay whose side of the story can i trust and maybe you can't trust any of them right like usually they've all got a, a secret mm-hmm. that they're um that they're trying to keep but yeah do you like do you find the um, the shock or the surprise when you're in that one character's head, if it's a, you know a single narrator um, for the book, do you find that that shock or the surprise with the big reveal, do you find that satisfying? I don't know if I would use the word satisfying as much as like um, kind of a little bit of a thrill. Um, when I think about that book that that shall remain unnamed, I literally stood in my kitchen with my mouth gaping open and I just had to like stand there. Like I was that in shock. That author got me that good. And, um, but it was so much fun. It it was an audiobook I was listening to and I instantly wanted to just start over again and see all the, all the pieces and points that I had missed along the way. Um, Yeah. I, I have to say, I really admire when, um, when an author evokes that, as you say, that thrill that comes with that big reveal, right? There's something about reading a book where it's got girl or woman in the title and you know that, okay, this is going to be, um, an unreliable narrator, but it's almost better when it's that you have no idea that that's coming. Yes. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I imagine that the title of that book, you said it was a, a male narrator, right? So mm-hmm. there, um, wouldn't have been, um, woman or girl, I'm thinking in the in the title, mm-hmm. so you wouldn't have even had that clue that um, that you were in for such a treat. Exactly, yeah, and that's a really good point. And and back to our um, back to our comment about the the 
sort of the feminist perspective on this. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we had the guy on the train? I mean, it just doesn't even work. (laughs) The man in the window. Either of those titles, I think, would um, evoke more of like a a romance, I would think. Right? Oh, my goodness. Um, Yes. Right? Like, it. you know, it's... I don't know, maybe it's just me, but like, that's, that's what I would expect from that, from that title. You know, we've both kind of talked about how we miss those, we tend to miss those cues that this book is going to be going to have a big reveal, big, have an unreliable narrator. What do you think makes those stories work, right? Like there, I, I don't think there's a, a bigger signal to a reader that, hey, there's going to be something that you're, you're not expecting in this book than having girl or woman in the, in the title. And still, you know, people are like, wow, that, that, that twist was such a, such a shocker. I loved that you said that we make a contract. And I think that's completely true. Like when you begin a book, uh, you, as a reader, you buy in, you know, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go along with this and go along on the ride. But I wonder if there's also some deeper things that we really enjoy about this because, um, you know, Ruth Ware writes a lot of, uh, her books have some level of unreliable narrator in there. And I read an article and she, a quote by her is we are all unreliable narrators. And I wonder if there's some you know, human nature in there, because we all have our own filter. You know, we all, if you and I sat through the same event and then we retold it to our friends, we would have two different stories. Um, and so it, it's very, um, I feel like the narrative device is very real life. Um, we're all going to tell the story with our own perceptions and, you know, our own life experiences. So maybe that's part of what makes it so satisfying in the end. I don't know. No, I, th- I think that's it, Brooke. I think you're right that, as you say, we all interpret things. We all have our own interpretation of events. And so when we're reading something, whether it's a um, multiple point of view with multiple narrators, um, you know, it becomes very clear there that there's different perceptions of, of what's going on. Um, but even with a single narrator, um, yeah, you get that. I think that's a really good, a really good point. I was thinking about the way our memories fade and they get kind of jumbled up and our memories contort to the way we wanted it to be or, um, or sometimes opposite. Sometimes they contort to, you know, the worst case scenario of that, of that event. And so um, that, that plays a part the way our memories work in, um, in these types of stories too. Yeah. I mean, I don't trust my memory. The more years that pass, the less I trust my memories. <laughs> so I looked up, you know, some articles to see, um, lists of you know, books with unreliable narrators and and it's a bit of a funny thing to list because if you know that the narrator is is unreliable like does that take away some of the enjoyment mm-hmm. of the book um but uh Rebecca was on a couple of those lists and I don't know I guess Rebecca you could consider that narrator to be naive I don't know if I would I like would you would you put Rebecca on that on a list of unreliable narrators? 
Yeah, that one surprised me too. I think you're right. It, it must fall into that naive, um, naive character. Uh, and, you know, I did some of the same looking around and they were, you know, also re- referencing Forrest Gump, which would have been a naive narrator. And then Michael Scott from The Office, again, it was a surprising example, but I get it because his perspective is not um, accurate. And as the audience, we know that like right off the bat, right? That, okay, this guy is not going to be telling things Mm -hmm. the way that they truly are. But I had never considered an unreliable narrator in a comedy situation. So that was kind of a fun thing to think about. Yeah. And that, and that's a good point. Like unreliable narration is not limited to mystery. I mean, we've been Mm -hmm. talking about mysteries, but Fight Club, is not a mystery but certainly there's unreliable narrator um and then the film the sixth sense as well right like i think you could say that was an unreliable narrator and but it wasn't i guess it was naive right because he didn't accept or he didn't realize what was going on yeah there was not a deliberate or intentional um trick to the reader but you know those are both two of my favorite movies Fight Club, um, Sixth Sense, um, The Others is also the same. It's an unreliable narration. Um, Excellent. Well, thanks, Brooke. I think this has been a really great conversation talking about unreliable narrators and, and some of my favorite book experiences that I've had recently. Yeah, this has been great, Sarah. And like so many of our topics, I assume that we will probably return to it at some point. But for today, everyone, thank you for joining us on Clued in Mystery. I'm Brooke. And I'm Sarah. And we both love mystery. Clued in Mystery is produced by Brooke Peterson and Sarah M. Stephen. Music is by Shane Ivers at silvermansound.com. Visit us online at cluedinmystery.com or social media at Clued in Mystery. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or telling your friends.